was so good, and we're really thankful for that. Don't forget, though, that um, there's always opportunities for you to, to give and get connected, and we just want to continue to, to put that in front of you because um, there's always needs that uh, we're facing as a congregation, and we just want to keep that in present and able in front of us to just know that we can continue to trust in God for all the things that he has for us. Well, today we're going to be looking at a unique subject. This whole summer, we're looking at a series called The A-Fact, and it is our opportunity to look, because what are we celebrating this year? Maybe you're not, I don't know, but it's over. Like July 1st is over, so we totally forget about it. But the fact is, is the whole year we get to celebrate Canada 150, and I'm appreciating all the different efforts that are still out there to try to keep it um, in, our, in our mindset. And so over this summer, we're just looking at different uh, Canadians and how they had an effect or continue to have an effect on us, maybe the way that we see uh, the gospel, maybe the way that we see ourselves connecting in Canadian society, and uh, just trying to draw all those things together so that we can grow in Christ. Is that not the point of why we gather? Doesn't necessarily have to be a rhetorical question. It is the point of why we gather, so that we can grow in Christ. Today, Our subject matter is very specific, very intriguing to me personally, and I hope that it kind of gets you potentially where you're itching. That's the goal of today. The person that we're going to look at is super inspirational. Um, To me personally, because it was someone that really was when I was a young kid, someone that really, I saw them and it was just in the news and everything and I was just like, wow, what an amazing story and I've never, ever forgotten it. But the thing that we're going to talk about today is doubt. How many of you have ever had a doubt? No doubt. <laughs> a great band back in the day. We can doubt once in a while. On Friday... I was uh, traveling in my vehicle, and uh, kind of earlier in the morning on Friday, and uh, I'm just traveling up over the crest over the 401, you know, where a road goes over the 401, and so there's exit ramps, and there's a car, a number of car lengths ahead of me, just traveling in the lane right in front of me, and, you know, Kyler and I are just kind of talking back and forth, but I'm looking the right way. I'm paying attention. And uh, all of a sudden, I see this car just ahead of me, just coming over the 401, starting to go down the hill. And on the exit ramp, a van decides, for whatever reason, just because of not paying attention, that they are just, they just blew right by the, um, the stop. So they just drove right in front of this lady. And there was nothing that she could do except just drive straight into them because that's how literally close it was. And so then I'm like, I just kind of got in shock because I'm watching this happen. I don't know if you've ever had that experience before where you watch something like that happen right in front of you. There's nothing that you can do about it. You just watch it happen and you just go, oh my, like, because I didn't know what was going to happen. I just saw this van just shoot out right across from her, and I thought, is it going to make it? And this is all happening in probably two seconds. And I thought, is this van going to make it? No, sure enough, van didn't make it. 
huge accident. This car is smoking and doing all this stuff in the middle of the road. So I pull over, try to say, okay, how, and, you know, Kyler was just excited because eventually the fire trucks came and the ambulances came and the police came. And so he was, didn't really pay attention to what was going on. So went through that whole deal and it was uh, quite a, a shocking thing. And I just stayed and tried to help as best as I could and then went on my way. You think, what does that have to do with doubt? Well, on my way, I was a little kind of, it, it caught me off guard. I'm just going to say that, just be honest. It caught me off guard. Because I started to think about the fact of, and this, it didn't have anything to do with what I was going to talk about today. I already had that all figured out. But then I started to think about it and how it kind of, the way my brain started to work and started to think about it, I ended up having a little bit of doubt over just, not driving, but just the volatility of being on the road at times. And I started to think about this because I had about 20 minutes to drive and Kyler kind of zoned out and was doing his own thing. And so I just started to think as I'm driving. And the more I thought about it, the more I kind of went, oh, driving's ridiculous. Like, it's crazy to be out here. Like, it's not even about how defensive I drive anymore. I was taught to drive defensively. You got to be aware and you got to pay attention. That's why there's, you know, speed limits and all that kind of stuff. But you got to be aware. And what I just watched happen right in front of me and watched the whole thing transpire right in front of me made me realize it doesn't matter how safe I am. It doesn't matter how defensive I am. It just doesn't matter because something happened totally unrelated to the way that this girl was driving. And I, I had moments like I'm thinking, wow, two seconds later, that would have been me nailing that guy. It wouldn't have been her. It would have been me. And so you start to think, oh, that's really weird. Not that I got all weird about it, but I just started to think. It doesn't matter how defensive I would have got. There was nothing at all that that young lady could have done to stop that from happening to her. And the unfortunate part was, is it was her boyfriend's brand new car, and she was driving to pick him up. So the other, I know, it's, so, it's just like, oh, man. So I'm actually on the phone, the, the other witness and I are on the phone with the boyfriend saying, listen, this was not her fault at all. Like, whatever little anger you have inside of you, honestly, just let it go. Try and I, I never met him. I met his father after. But it was just such a unique experience. His father showed up. I just, yeah, it was such, <laughs> such an odd story. But it made me start to think about doubt from that angle. Start to doubt Man, this is, there's no control mechanisms out there to stop someone from just driving right into me. I've, I had that experience just over at the, the plaza at Leslie and York Mills. You know, the, the, when you drive out of the plaza, there's a little exit to bring you back west on York Mills. And so now every time, because one time, I again, Kyler and I in the car stopped to get a little uh, that booster juice. And we're pulling out and someone just nailed me right in the parking lot like to the point of like thousands of dollars of damage to my car. And so now every time I drive out of that plaza, I'm almost come to a complete stop, look, 
because I have the right of way, but in that time, I just didn't think, oh, I have the right of way, I can go. But now every time, I'm super cautious. I'm just, it's kind of like this instinctual thing where I'm looking now to my left to make sure. I don't want to go through that again, because I, that guy hit me once, you know, I probably someone else could do it. But it starts to stir up doubt, and I, I, doubt comes in so many different formats. I, I wrote down a few, maybe you have some more, but you know, so I, I doubt people's driving skills. <laughs> maybe you do. <laughs> um, we can doubt people's beliefs. What they believe about themselves, what they believe about us, what they believe about the world, we can doubt it. We can doubt people's motives. You ever doubt people's motives? You doubt people's ideas. Doubt people's assumptions. And doubt it. And here's one that I want to kind of end on and use as a springboard. We can doubt people's intentions. And really what it does is it stirs up something in us of a suspicion all the time about wondering about what's going on in that person's head, what's going on with their intentions, and we end up losing sight of the things that are keeping us focused and keeping us moving forward because we're doubting everyone and everything around us, and it pulls us off the track that we're on. I don't know what else, what other things do you doubt about? It's summertime, we can have a conversation, it's relaxed. Is there anything else that you doubt about sometimes? There's nothing wrong, we're in church, I know. And we're, we're supposed to be, you know, you don't talk about doubt in church, you're supposed to just be, you know, believing and that's it. It's a, it's a sin to doubt. Well, we're going to have that conversation today. Is there anything else that you doubt? Is there any times that you have doubt? The weather report. The weather report. It's true. <laughs> Brother Hecka, last week, he doesn't doubt. Whatever website he goes to for the heather, the, the heather, the weather is perfect because it started to rain at 6. He said it about 20 minutes earlier, and he said, it's going to rain at 6.20. And then it starts to rain, and he, he comes up, and he shows me his watch, and it's 6.19. So I doubt the weather report too, but somehow he's got an inside track. Is there anything else that you doubt? Nothing? Feel free. <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> it's got to be one word like that. <laughs> Steve. You can doubt the government. Yep. Yeah, that's, there's a key word. Because of something, someone's or something's track record, we can doubt it. Anything else? One more. Give me one more. Great. That's a good one to move forward on. Because that's one, we can doubt God if you didn't hear. And it's true. I honestly believe it's okay to talk about this. It's not a taboo subject. It's funny that, um, you know, I was raised to try to expel doubt as much as possible from my mind and from my actions, you know, because I was taught, and sometimes I think it was more the way I took it in. It wasn't necessarily, it was maybe in my immaturity, but it was the way that I perceived it. It was the way that it kind of grew in me that what that meant was that if I start to doubt 
you know, Jesus and I start to doubt what, what he's doing in and through my life, then somehow I'm sinning and that disappoints him and now I've, I've separated myself from him and now there's this, you know, this discombobulation between him and I and it just all gets messed up. I don't know if you've ever had that kind of feeling or that kind of thing put on you, whether for me, I think it was something that I put on myself and maybe some things I saw in different people that were in places of authority in church and in, in the kingdom a little bit that were honestly a little bit wacky. And I, I would say, like, you know, that would cause me, well, I want to doubt that because that seems weird to me, but I don't think I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to just kind of blindly believe it. And all of this language, it's okay to talk about this. Because really what, you know, in a sense, the kind of follower that I want to be, and I would love you to ask yourself that, what kind of follower do I want to be of of Jesus? I personally, when I talk about that with myself, when I have those conversations with myself, I want to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Now that sounds maybe a little simplistic, but there is volumes and volumes of weight to that. I want to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Of Jesus, and I'm going to expand on that a little bit. Let's just really quickly. Um, can you just throw the uh, the Terry Fox quote up? That's the person that we're going to look at today, just for a moment. Just the the other the quote one. The other you don't have that one. Oh, well, Terry Fox. Do you remember Terry Fox? What an amazing guy! Now, for someone that's under like, do you remember Terry Fox? Have you you've heard about? Him? Of course you do. I just have to ask someone younger than me. But for me, he was quite significant because I was 10 years old when he launched out um, to do uh, what he was going to do, this, this run for hope across the country. And, you know, he stuck his foot in the Atlantic in, in Newfoundland, stuck his artificial foot in there and said, I'm going to start running. And just the year before, when, he got, when it was discovered that he had to get his leg amputated, he wrote the Canadian Cancer Society and he said, I want to do whatever I can do because I need a miracle. So I'm going to start to dream that by me doing something to try to help you guys in what you're doing, I'm going to make a difference. That was just one guy trying to make a difference. So um, uh, the start in 1980, after his leg was amputated, now he's got that artificial leg, and he starts doing the foxtrot across Newfoundland. And do you remember that, the foxtrot? Because he had his little kick that he would do all the time to keep that artificial leg swinging. He was the one that made it up, so I'm not making fun of him. So, <laughs> and he started to go all the way across Canada. And the reason that I got this photo of Terry Fox is because if you go on terryfox.org, his website, he kept a journal. And I don't know if it's the complete journal, but he kept a journal of his running. All the different things that he experienced, the different people that he came across. And there's just on the website, there's little snippets. It says the day and the time, and it just gives a quote of what he was thinking in his journal on that day. And, you know, so it's like the very first day zero, you know. It's like, oh, awesome opportunity, you know, I'm going to start this. And uh, so then he starts running, and then, you know, 300 kilometers later, you know, oh, had this kind of reception, and it was positive, positive. And then all of a sudden, he gets a little bit further across the country, and there's, you see a little bit of, you know, people are honking to get me off the road. Or, you know, people, even in their kindness, they're trying to pick me up because they think I'm lost or they're not quite sure what I'm doing. He's saying different things like that. And then devastatingly enough, as he's coming across Ontario and he's up by Thunder Bay, starts to realize that he's struggling breathing. And so he goes to the doctor, they realize the cancer's moved to his chest, and the rest is history. But the reason that this picture, to me personally, when I think about his life, is so important because the majority 
of his running in that season of life was done like this. What's the, what's the, what does that picture represent to me? Alone. All alone. Trying to make a difference, not only for himself, but for the people, everyone else that is suffering from cancer. And the one thing that I, you know, you can hear it in some of the writings and some of the video interviews that there, of, there are of, of Terry Fox. That the one thing that he was always trying to inspire was to say, I just want to try to do my best to make a difference. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it fully, but I believe that I can and I will. And the amazing thing is, is that the most of the time that he was running, it was done like this, just alone. No one there to encourage him, to cheer him on, to clap him on, to just say, you can do this. That was happening, you know, closer he'd get to towns and things like that. But our country's a big country. And so he was alone a lot. And you know what it, it said is that there was a lot of opportunity for him to doubt what in the world he had gotten himself involved with. Think, what have I done? I've set myself up for failure. I've made all these commitments to all these people that I want to do this and I want to inspire people and I want to make a difference. I still remember as a 10-year-old boy him running through Toronto. I ended up at, I think it was, the, it was um, in Scarborough, spoke at the Civic Center in Scarborough. Probably some other places too. That's just the one I remember. But a lot of times, majority of the time that he was running over those months, it was alone. And a lot of times in his aloneness, there was a lot of time to doubt. There was a lot of time to think, what have I gotten myself into? Now here's the positive spin of that story. Is that, I don't know if you realize this, but today, I think we're 25 or, how many years are we? 30 years later now? 1981 he died. Do the math. Guess how much has been raised in the name of Terry Fox Foundation for Cancer Research globally? Just take a wild guess. 100 million. Higher. One billion? Almost. Seven, just over 700 million. Isn't that, like, just think about that for a second. Over 700, 715 million, according to the Terry Fox Foundation, has been raised in the name of Terry Fox Foundation for cancer research all over the world. Because one guy put his doubt aside and said, I want to see this happen. I want to make a difference in other people's lives. And whether I make it all the way across Canada or not, I'm going to put my doubt aside. I'm going to run when it's tough. I'm going to run when I'm alone. And I'm just going to believe that this is going to make a difference. I don't know where Terry Fox was in his personal spiritual journey or anything like that. I have no information on that at all. But the story about making a decision to follow through on something in spite of the doubt, in spite of the odds, in spite of the, the difference that people were making, honking at him, telling him to get off the road, and other people in their kindness saying, oh, I'll pick you up, are you lost? Why are you running in the middle of nowhere? You're, you're obviously missing a leg. What's going on? There's stories like that. He just plowed right through and just said, I want to make a difference. And even though he got shut down just up by Thunder Bay a number of months later, 
The legacy today is that people all over the world know this young man's name and have contributed by running and raising funds for cancer research all over the world to the tune of over $700 million. That's, that's pretty amazing that someone who ran a road alone with their doubt, wondering, am I going to be healthy enough to do this? Am I going to have the strength to do this? Has made that kind of impact over the last few decades. In your Bible, Matthew chapter 11, we read the second portion of it where Jesus said, don't forget that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want you to take that on you. I want you in faithfulness to believe that walking with me and being led by me is the best choice that you could ever make in your life. You have doubts, mind you. You're, you're going to have fears at times. You're going to have things that are going to challenge your faith. But Jesus said, don't doubt. He said that to, to a man that had a son that was uh, full of evil spirits and was flailing himself all over the ground. And Jesus, and the, the, the father came and ran to Jesus and said, Jesus, would you help my son? And Jesus said, absolutely, I will. And he, he freed that, that young man of those tormenting spirits. And the father, he, he went to Jesus and he said, Jesus, would you just help me believe? Because I've just seen what you've done. Would you help me believe in a greater way that you are who you say you are, and you can do what only you say you can do. There's another guy that we can read about in Matthew chapter 11, and I just want to read the, the first portion here. John the Baptist it's talking about. Remember in chapter 10, Jesus had just worked with the disciples, and he said, I want you to prepare yourselves to go all over Israel and tell people who I am, be willing to share the good news with them so that they can know that the truth has come finally for them. All the things that have been prophesied. Well, then John starts to hear about this stuff because where is John right now? John the Baptist, he's in jail. Why is he in jail? Because Herod, the king, took um, a, a wife that didn't, that, you know, at that time in that political society, took a woman that didn't belong to him, and John called him out on it. So Herod said, okay, appreciate that, but go to jail now. So now John's in jail, suffering um, in jail, and he has this conversation through his disciples with Jesus. Now it says, after Jesus, starting right in verse 1 of chapter 11, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. So he sent his disciples out, and now he is still going and teaching. When John the Baptist heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his own disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Now remember what John thought about himself. He said, based out of the prophecy of Isaiah, he said, I am one crying out from the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And that was that prophetic belief because all of Israel was reading the Old Testament at that, that, that time. They understood the prophecies and they knew that that person who was labeled that one crying out from the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord, that whoever came after them, whoever they were preparing the way for, was the actual Messiah, was the incarnation of God and the flesh. And that's key to remember that. Because when we talk about being faithful to God. So all of a sudden, 
John is trying to figure this out. He's like, are you the one that we actually thought? Are you, like, am I, am I the guy that is really the one preparing the way in the wilderness? Because I don't know. I don't know if this is actually turning out the way that I thought it was going to turn out. I'm stuck in jail right now. So I got to ask the question, are you the guy that I think you are? Because if you're not that guy, then I'm not this guy and everything that I've been doing, I might as well just stop it. Might as well recant everything. So John says, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied this, and he replied in a direct way that John would directly understand. He replied from the same prophetic statement out of Isaiah to John, back to him through his disciples. And it was this, go back and report to John what you hear and see, that the blind receive their sight, that the lame walk, that those who have leprosy are cured, that the deaf hear and the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Now, if you think back to Isaiah, what's some other stuff that it says in there? It says something about freeing captives. It says something about lifting the oppressed. Well, Jesus didn't say that stuff to John. He didn't give him the full prophecy. But then Jesus said this. He says, blessed is the man or the person who does not fall away, who who doesn't get offended, who does not fall away on account of me. As John's disciples, uh, verse 7, were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed in the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out there to see? A prophet? Jesus said, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one whom about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, among those who are born of women, there has not been risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. It's very odd and different the way that Jesus said that and spoke that. But really, it was for John's disciples to hear, to encourage John to say, John, you are who you think you are because I am who I know I am. I am God incarnate walking on this earth, reconciling people back to their creator. So you are who you say you are. You are who you think you are. I don't want you to doubt that, John. But here's the thing for you and I to bring that forward into today in our daily lives and what we go through, what we think about. Sometimes we realize that someone's actions can have profound impact on our life and yet it has nothing to do with us. We didn't ask for it. We didn't anticipate it. We didn't think about it. Just someone else's actions can have profound impact. And it can cause us to doubt everything around us. I don't know if you've ever been dismissed or fired from a job. Maybe some of it, or you just, you know, or a contract came to an end, or something happened where your life got disrupted because you were living a certain way, a certain pattern, and because of circumstances around you that really had nothing to do with you, your life got disrupted. It can make you start to doubt the whole thing and say, what is this all about? 
Well, John is the same way. He is a man that was crying out, saying, let's prepare the way of the Lord. I want you to turn from your sins. I want you to repent and be baptized. And he even called the king out on that. The king saying, listen, you need to repent of that. And the king, instead of repenting, throws him in jail. And now everything that he's been living, all these things, let's not forget what John saw, the most significant thing that John saw. Do you remember? Jesus showed up on the riverside while John's baptizing people, and he said, John, I want you to baptize me. And there was this beautiful revelation of the Father over the Son in that moment that John saw, and he said, this is my Son whom I'm well pleased. It says that this voice came out from the heavens. John heard that, and he's still in jail now because his circumstances had changed. He's starting to doubt even what he heard and saw when he baptized Jesus. So I start to think about doubt. Start to think about people like Terry Fox and the impact that he's made in Canada and around the world. And yet, I know, because of the things that we hear from him and read from him, that there were moments of real doubt with him. And then I think about John and the Baptist, and I think about you and I today, and how do we continue to move forward in our spiritual journey So that doubt doesn't just kind of live beside us and we kind of just massage it once in a while and deal with it. But how do we live a life that is faithful to Jesus even in the midst of our doubts? Because people, I can doubt my beliefs, I can doubt my motives, my ideas, my assumptions, my intentions. And here it is. I I, I just, as we're talking about really what it means to follow Jesus and be a faithful follower. Because there's many people that follow Jesus. There's many people that claim to follow Jesus. And I'm not here to judge anyone. I'm not here to call anyone out. But really what we want to do is understand how doubt kind of plays into our faith and pulls us away from being the faithful people to Jesus that we can be and making a difference for him and for his kingdom. Because that's what he calls us to. It's interesting that John the Baptist doubted. It's even more interesting that Jesus, as he goes on further in this conversation, he starts to lovingly challenge the people that are in front of him. And he starts to say, listen, I I want you to understand something about yourselves. And he goes further in the chapter. And I I just want to... Oh, sorry, I just missed it here. He goes further in the chapter, and he, he kind of gives a little poem to them. And he said, you know, if you read there in verse 17, or, sorry, in verse 16, he says, to whom can I compare this generation? These people that Jesus is talking to, he says, who could I compare you to? He says, you're like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to others. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We, we, we sang a dirge, and you, you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and and, and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by its actions. Jesus is saying to these people, he says, you know what the real problem is? You want to have faith, but you want to control the way that it affects your life. And he said, you can't have it both ways. 
John came as a pure, righteous individual, and you called him crazy. I came as a person that you deemed outside the box and was a friend of sinners, and you put me in that same crazy box. You want it your way. And so this is the conclusion that I've come to, and, and, and I don't think it's fully worked out, but this is something that I'm on the journey, and I want to challenge you to be on this. Because I want to be a faithful follower of Jesus. A faithful follower to me means that I'm someone who's putting my trust and my devotion into my relationship with Jesus. That's what I want to be faithful to, is that I am building a relationship with Christ. But here's the challenge, and this is where doubt plays a part. Because I don't want to doubt. I don't want to live in that doubt. I don't want to say, Jesus, these circumstances are really trying. They're really perplexing me. I don't know why I have to go through this, but you're telling me just to kind of hang on, and I don't feel like it's going to work out the way I want. I, I, but I don't want to doubt you. And I don't know if you go through those conversations in your mind at times. But here's the challenge that I go through, and maybe you face this too, is I, I wrote it like this. We don't want to doubt, but we want things to work out the way we want them to or the way we expect them to work out. Do you hear that? I don't want to doubt Jesus. I want to be faithful to him. But my Lord, he better work out things exactly the way that I expect them to get worked out. Exactly the way I want them to be worked out. Because that really solidifies my faith in him. I get what I want. He gets what he wants. And we are all happy. Well, that's what he was saying to these people there. He said, listen, you can't have it both ways. You can't say that you're being a faithful follower to me and then doing it the way that you want. Living a life of faith is a life of trust. It means that no matter if I'm in the meat grinder of life or I'm in the beautiful plush part of life, whatever circumstance I find myself in, I'm saying to my heart and to my mind, in all things, I'm going to trust Jesus. I want to be faithful to him. In all things, in all circumstances, in all seasons of life. The scriptures go throughout that because Matthew chapter 11 is a very significant chapter. And here's why it's so significant. Because it is a handing off point in history from John the Baptist, this person paving the way for the Messiah, to Jesus the Messiah rising up and saying, now follow me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And now 2,000 years later, that statement has just wreaked a beautiful havoc across the world that over a billion people are following Jesus today. That makes a huge, significant impact to people. And Jesus is calling people to faithfully follow him. To not say, I want to follow you, but I want it in my own way. Jesus says, you know what? That, that's not necessarily the faith that I'm looking for because what is faith? It's trusting in him beyond what I can perceive or control or direct myself. Terry Fox, we're used to using him as a bit of an inspirational point today. He had a dream and he said, I want to make an impact. And his dream was that every Canadian, and at that time, I think they said there was 25 million Canadians. That every, or something like that, 30 million Canadians. But that every Canadian would at least give a dollar 
to cancer research. And after he died, that dream actually became realized, that that amount of money was raised for cancer research within a year after he had died, millions of dollars. I use that as a bit of an inspirational point for you and I. Because that guy was all about dreaming bigger than he could ever imagine himself. That is the way that we have to approach faith and approach Jesus, in my opinion. That I have to dream bigger than I could ever imagine. I could ever want to think, oh, this is just the way it's working out. Because if I limit what God can do in and through my life, then it's just an opportunity for me to say, well, this isn't working out the way I want, and so I'm just going to go my own way. But when I'm called to be faithful to him and to trust him in all circumstances, then that is the opportunity where I can say, no matter what I face, I want to be faithful because I want to see this through to the end. And there have literally been millions of believers across the globe that have had that, that aren't living any longer, that aren't alive any longer, but right to the end, they stayed faithful. And it says now in Hebrews that they are that cloud of witnesses looking down on you and I, cheering us on, saying, don't stop being faithful. Sure, you can have your doubts when your circumstances are are maybe dictating that you don't feel so good, but don't give up. I just, this is a little thing that I say to myself, when in doubt, you ever heard that? Stick it out. When in doubt, work it out. Now sometimes I've held on too long. Sometimes the circumstances, even in my thinking I'm being faithful, have overwhelmed me. It's not a perfect science. I'm not trying to say that. I'm not trying to give you a list of follow these four things and everything's just going to be great. I'm trying to inspire us to an attitude that says, no matter what we face, we are going to be faithful because we want to see the true dream that Jesus has for us as individuals and for us as a church, Bayview Family Church, to be worked out more than we could ever dream or imagine. That's what's at stake. Do I doubt some things that God is doing at times through us? Yeah. Because I don't see how it could work out. But then he quickly gives me a knock on the head, lovingly. Steve, have I called you to be able to live in faith and doubt and walk in that tandem all the time? He said, that's too much for you. He said, what I've asked you to do is take on my yoke and my burden, because I've promised you that it's easy and it's light. And whoever puts their trust in me is going to see life, and that is the life that I choose to live. And I want to continue to inspire us to live that faithful life, even in the midst of doubt. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have us. Thank you, Jesus that you keep us. And thank you, Jesus, that no matter what tomorrow holds, you are already there and you are working things out on behalf of us that love you and trust you. So Lord, we take inspiration from John the Baptist that even though he found himself in circumstances that were beyond his control and it caused him to have moments of doubt, that you reminded him John, stay faithful. 
because I am who I say that I am. And now you're calling each one of us to trust you in a fresh, inspiring way. That no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what challenges we are facing right now, that we not only are called to trust you, but that we can trust you and that you promise to meet us in the point of our trust because you're calling us to be faithful, faithful followers. And when we endeavor to be faithful, that is where you meet us. Jesus, all of us cry out today like that father who you worked with so many years ago who cried out, help me believe. Help me believe, Jesus. I've seen the evidence of what you've done. Now help me believe. So Lord, we recognize today that doubt is all around us and it's easily accessible. But you have called us to overcome the doubt with faith. Say, Jesus, I'm putting my trust in you no matter what circumstances I find myself in. Even if I have to stick it out a little bit longer through a trying time. Even if I have to work out something that I didn't see or anticipate happening. I want to do it because I want to be faithful to you. So Jesus, we just pray this in your name. Amen.